you will, we're going to kind of hang out today in Genesis 10, 11, and 12, okay? So um, I'll do my best to get us through this, um, okay? Now, have any of you caught the bug for ancestry research? <coughs> Interesting. A couple years back, Kathy, uh, my sister-in-law, gave me a, she's really big into this and is good at it, and she gave me a notebook. I've shared some of it with you guys. Gave me a notebook, a thick notebook, doing all the research, lots of research for my family. Mary, the cherry side and the Seton side, and um, it's just a, a valued gift to me. I've, I've just loved pouring over that, doing some of my own research, which this prompted. So maybe you guys are into that a little bit, too. Um, um, some, one site promises to help you connect with long-lost relatives whose DNA matches yours in some way. You know, you can send this DNA thing in. And uh, clearly, uh, they've hit a nerve. One, um, uh, one reports 2.5 million monthly subscribers and 3 million total customers. That's just crazy to me to think that, that many people are willing to pay money to kind of help somebody uh, kind of track back their family tree. But the truth is, don't we all, at some point in our lives, maybe it takes a while, but at some point in our lives, we become interested in tracking our roots, kind of where we came from. That's kind of what is driving a lot of this. Now, we have since... Uh, the beginning of September, we've been talking about this little book of Genesis, and uh, we focused on the themes of creation, on who God is as creator, the role humans play in uh, God's fulfillment of promises across generations. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Noah and, and how he was faithful, uniquely so, in his generation. Because he was faithful, he was granted a special role in um, God's renewal of the world and repopulating the world after the great flood. So, if you go to Genesis 10, then um, there's a chapter here that's often referred to as the Table of Nations. It gives a lineage of Noah's descendants. It talks about, by the time we get to chapter 11, it talks about the Tower of Babel that uh, caused some clans and families to scatter throughout the world. Uh, that results in social separation, and uh, as part of that process, the descendants of one of Noah's sons, Shem, uh, eventually settles in the area that you and I know today as Mesopotamia, which is modern Iraq and Iran, where Abram was born. Now, I can say all that. You can read all those names in chapter 10 and in chapter 11 many of which you can't pronounce, nor can I. But when you get to the end of chapter 11, if you're like me, you say, oh, oh, no, I get it. We got to get to Abraham, okay? Oh, so if you've had that, oh, uh, getting to Abram, then you're like me, and we're going to kind of deal with this. Now, uh, um, ch chapters like Genesis 10 seem awfully tedious. But remember that there are some people that have read that and said, okay, I know, uh, there's Grandpa and there's 
great-grandpa and there's great-great-grandpa. Okay, so you and I get to kind of look at their genealogy a little bit. But what I want to say to you is that this is part of, and can I just say this? This story is part of your spiritual DNA. And it's part of mine. So it's really important that we kind of come to terms with it, I think. So let's get into it a little bit. Boy, am I going to make um, Mr. Blair mad at me today because there's probably stuff that you don't want to read at all. But um, read verse 1 from chapter 10, if you will, um, uh, uh, Brother Blair. And then if you go, uh, we're looking, at, there's a reason we're doing it this way. 10-1, then read 11-10 and 11-27. Oh, okay, okay. There's one that I there's one that I have trouble with. The one that's okay. You you would have made a shot at it anyway. We'll we'll give it a shot, pal. Okay. All right, now that's the one that I can't pronounce right. When you get to that point, that's the point that I read and I start saying, oh, that's why all these names are in here. Okay, Abram, it's a big deal. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Now, uh, notice if you bookend chapter 10, okay, if you look at uh, Steve read just a little bit ago, now, there are rec these are records of the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Who were they? The sons of Noah. Okay, the three sons of Noah. The sons were born to them after the flood. Then look at 1032, the last verse in that chapter. These are the families of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, by their nations. And out of these nations, the nations were separated on the earth after the flood. So the idea here is that after the flood, this is how the world is repopulated. Now, these, you could call these three, okay, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Why is it that I always want to say Larry, Moe, and Curly right there? But <laughs> there was a Shem that was a, that was a stooge at one time, wasn't there? Yeah. Was there a Shep? I thought there was a Shem. Okay, never, anyway, I have totally lost you now, right? Uh, so Shem, Ham, and Japheth were the three Let's think about it this way. They were three clans. They became three clans. And they were told, if you remember, after the flood, to be, be fruitful and multiply. And they did so. And so their clans became nations. All right? When the patriarchs get to the promised land, they're going to eventually encounter these clans, these nations. Some of that will go well. Most of it will go not so well. Um, but much of 10 is their genealogies. Now, as I read them, it's interesting. There is an economy of words in time and verses spent on Japheth. Quite a bit of time in verses spent on Ham. Okay, so think Egyptians, think Arabic peoples, those kinds of things. And there's, there's lots of time spent on Shem eventually, and we'll talk about why. Now, so Noah's sons produce people groups or nations is kind of the thought here. Now, 
what I want us to kind of zero in on is kind of keep your finger here in chapter 10 and 11 and, and go back to 315. There's a promise, if you remember, when we, when we got to finally to chapter 3, there's a promise here that we can't ignore. It is, it is crucially important. Uh, boy, isn't it funny that I chose the word crucial there, but because this is the first hint at the cross, all right, um, which is, by the way, from where we get the idea of crucial. Okay, 315, somebody read that one out loud. There is this story of spiritual, there's this hint here at spiritual conflict between the serpent, Satan, and the seed of the woman. Okay. That begins right here in the third chapter of the Bible that you and I know cult of, uh, uh, culminates in the story of the cross and the story of the empty tomb. So uh, we'll keep kind of coming back to this, okay? So the first nine verses or so, <coughs> excuse me, uh, it tells the story of the Tower of Babel, chapter 11, all right? After this story, beginning here in verse 10 that Steve read for us, the narrative returns to the family of one of Noah's sons, Shem. Okay? Now, here's, here's a word that you know that you need to kind of connect. The word Semitic. We, had, we prayed for some Semitic people today. The word Semitic comes from this name, Shem. It's that tribe, that group of people, okay? Those nations there, all right? Now, um, Babel, that whole story in the first nine verses of 11 results in chaos. But the promise that Karen read for us just a bit ago in Genesis 3.15 goes on. Think the word redemption. If 11 was, the first nine verses were all about chaos. About how bad man had already become after the flood a few generations later. We continue to hear, echoing through Genesis 3.15, but redemption, but redemption. Okay, so uh, we're going to look at then, that is why, Steve read for us 11.27. That's why the story, by the way, God's earlier promise cannot be stopped by Satan's chaos is what I put there. So now we see the reason the story focuses on Shem. Look again at 11.27. We're introduced to, in 11.27, the, the family of Terah, Terah becomes the father of three boys, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran was the daddy of Lot. You remember when Abram gets to the promised land? He's got a nephew in his clan with him. That's because Lot's dad dies over there. We'll, we'll kind of see that story. So we see the story. From Shem's line would come Terah, thus Abram. They live in Ur, then traveled north and a little bit west to Haran, 
where Terah died. If you looked at verse 32 um, in chapter, uh, the days of Terah were 200, and, uh, verse 32 in chapter 11, the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. It's interesting. Um, in verse 31, Terah takes Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, is Sarai, his daughter-in-law, and his son Abram's wife. They went together from Ur, the Chaldeans, in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. Okay, so they stop, and Terah dies, Abram's dad. He dies there in Haran, which is kind of a stop-off spot for them. They travel to Haran, uh, which is in um, southern, uh, they, they come from um, southern Mesopotamia, northern Iraq, uh, modern-day Iraq, and um, uh, they stopped in this place where both of those places that are mentioned there were advanced civilizations for their days. They were strong economically. They were strong eagle, uh, uh, legally. <coughs> and Ur, as well as Haran, were wealthy cities. So where, um, where the guys all settled, where Abram certainly settled, was a really good place to be. I'm in a good place. This is a great place. They've got everything, you know, there's a grocery store in every corner, a Walgreens and a CVS, okay? Starbucks, it's all there, you know, right? They got everything they need then, then, okay? Now, let's go to 11. Let's go to, back to chapter 11. And let's read just verse 31 and 32. Cindy, can I get you to read 31 and 32? Okay, Haran is in southern Turkey near the Syrian border, okay? And something happens there. What happens there? Dad dies. Terah dies, okay? 200 years old or so, he dies. Now, let me fill in the blanks for you. Abraham had left, Abram left with his dad Terah, and some of the rest of their family, left the familiar, left the familiar surroundings for very unfamiliar. Look at 1128. Okay. Haran died. That's Abram's brother, Terah's son, Lot's father. Am I connecting it for you? Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. So before they ever headed out, Lot's dad is gone one of the three brothers. And so what ends up happening here is that apparently um, Abram is the oldest, okay? If you look at the list, because Abram becomes kind of the leader of the clan after Terah dies. Now, all of this is kind of important, even though at this point you're saying, I'm not real so really sure, okay? So, okay. Abram becomes kind of the leader of the clan, leader of the family, the leader of the nation. Therefore, we kind of assume that he is uh, kind of the, um, he is not only the um, uh, leader of the clan, but he's probably, since he is so, he's probably the oldest. If you look at the list in 1126, Terah lived 70 years and became the father of 
Abram, Nahor, and Haran. They're not, they're not mentioned in alphabetical order, obviously. They're mentioned probably in birth order. Okay? But there's a problem with Abram being the father of the nation. It's in verse 30. Look at it. No children. He's 75 years old. He's on this journey. And he's getting ready to take one of his own. He's been following his dad. Now he's getting ready to take one of his own. And verse 30 tells us what, Jopi? No kids. Sarai was barren. Um, I just find so many stories in the Old Testament and some in the New of nations and promises being given to those who don't have the ability to have children of their own. Interesting. I've got a dear friend, young man, 30 years old, 31 years old, who um, uh, they've gone through the in vitro thing several times at, at great expense. And uh, he tells me uh, three or four months ago, hey, we've adopted. Uh, we've, we've been looking for an adoption. We finally got a little girl. She's coming mid-October. They named her. She comes a week early. And the mother says, no, I'm going to keep her. They have reconfigured their home. They built a nursery. I just say that to tell you uh, of the heartbreak of this. Jim, you've got your own story about adoption, don't you? Uh, the heartbreak of this, verse 30, couldn't have been more huge in those days. So that's kind of what we're dealing with. All right, now, so let's, that is all set. It's kind of the preamble to the promise. Chapter 12, the first four verses, John can I prevail on you? I don't know how many bad names are going to be in here, but I, but I trust you, partner. Okay? First four verses of 12. Okay, now, let's, let's make sure we understand chapters 10 and 11 get us to chapter 12. Abram was in a good place. He liked Haran. But 3.15 had to happen. So God speaks. God speaks. I, I, I find this really intriguing. Um... Uh, that here they are. Um, Abram is kind of leading the, the clan. God speaks to him, and he hears him, and he responds. Um, and God says, if you'll do this, I'll do this. It's what we call in Old Testament language, and really even in New Testament language, we call a covenant. 
Okay, kind of an old word. I've been humming a song this week in my head that my dad and his quartet sang. You ever, did you ever hear dad's quartet? Maybe not back in the day, but he was the lead singer, obviously, right? And they sang a song, an old quartet song called, I Made a Covenant with My Lord, and I Promised to Obey His Holy Word. Uh, I can hear it in my mind now. Um, so this idea of covenant is patterned, patterned after an ancient treaty in the region. In these arrangements, a great king would declare sovereignty over a weaker subject king and demand absolute loyalty in exchange for military protection and overall security. So you catch this? So you got a strong king that kind of swoops in and kind of takes over the territory of a weaker king, and they make a treaty or a covenant that where he says, if you'll serve me, then I will, uh, if you'll be subject to me, then I will protect you militarily, and I'll make sure your, your people are provided for. Now, that's the idea in the region. But you and I know that, um, that um, these could be extended across generations, um, provided the next generations agreed to keep the treaty. Uh, and it, the, you see them all over literature of the, those days. But in the present case, the supreme sovereign, God, offers a local tribal leader, Abram, blessings in exchange for obedience to God's unilateral terms. Uh, there's no, you notice there's no debate. There's no um, well, Abram, Abram doesn't say, yeah, but what about this? He just accepts the terms. Abram uh, is going to get uh, blessings in exchange for obedience to God's terms. These terms in the verse before us um, mean that Abram has to, and here's what goes in your blank, Abram has to leave everything and follow. <coughs> I think it's interesting here. The last line of 12.1 tells us where he's going. Where? To a land I'll show you. It literally is so inexact. If you'll follow me, I'm going to do this for you. And I'm taking you to a land that I'll show you. Wow. I made a deal like that one time. And I've dragged her all over the country trying to follow it. You know? When I said to God, okay, I'm your guy. I don't know what that means. And he said, yeah, you don't know where it means either. And it led me to Texas, John, and the Florida, and uh, yeah, and to uh, to Kentucky for lots and lots of years, and then back home. Now you And now I'm back. I'm in the Promised Land now, Dan. You're, you're. Isn't it interesting? The, and uh, he says to him, "To the land which I will show you. Leave everything, and I'm going to show you where we're going." So he makes that promise, and then he makes kind of the first of 
uh, at least three promises in verse 2. The first promise that's significant here is this promise of a great nation. Jopi, what's the problem? Verse 30 is the problem. Of 11. No babies. No kids. No children. Oh, I just knew you knew. Um, this will become Abram's theme song. It'll become Abram's theme song. It'll be, he wakes up whistling in the morning, I'm going to be a great nation. I'm going to be a great nation. And then he'll scratch his head and say, yeah, right. I mean, how's that going to work out? You're absolutely right. And when he sings it to Sarah, she says, you're nuts. Okay? Uh, yeah, well, I've heard that before too. Uh, okay, so... He promises some other things in verse 2. What else does he promise besides being a nation? He, provide, he promises blessings here. He promises, you can kind of imply, in, uh, protection. And he, in, he promises wherever he's taken him that Abram will be a person of influence. I will make you great. I will make your name great. Now that would be enough to make most men's ears perk up. Where you're going, you're going to be a big shot. You'll be, you'll be uh, a person of influence, kind of that, that idea here. But the problem is 1130, right? Okay, so look at verse 3, chapter 12. What's the promise here? I'll bless those who bless you. Dan, you said it a minute ago. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And you will, in, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So the idea here is, okay, that others who oppose Abram will find themselves in opposition to God. Now, that's a really good deal. If they're against you, they're also against me. And God will take up his case, and then he addresses Genesis 3.15. Abram doesn't quite know it yet. Through your people, through your seed, through your nation, through your tribe, through your clan, all nations on the earth will be blessed. What's he talking about? 3.15. He's talking about the redemption of everybody. And he says, this is going to happen. No, no little seed yet. But through that seed, all people will be blessed. That's a prediction about Jesus. So, apparently, without hesitation, verse 4, Abram becomes a homeless nomad. Now, I want you to go with me to Hebrews 11. Um, in, in, chapter, in, in the next verse after verse 4, Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions that they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out from the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. So, all right, he becomes, without hesitation, at least it seems, in verse 4, a homeless nomad for the rest of his life. Somebody read 8, 9, and 10 of Hebrews 11 and tell us how the New Testament writers reflect on the faith of Abraham. What do they say? Heirs, heirs of the of the he was looking forward to the city which 
Isn't that beautiful? Thank you, dear. He didn't know where he was going. He lived in a tent the rest of his life on the road. By the way, you just need to know, okay? He was 75. I just turned 63. And by this time next week, I will be homeless. Okay? We, uh, some of you have heard this story. I need to tell a little bit of it so I, um, in case you're wondering. Uh, about five or six weeks ago, Rhonda had, uh, we'd been talking a lot about her long drive to Tinker that we didn't have when we first built this house seven years ago. And we just, and it was kind of one of those weekends where we finally just decided we're going to have to do something about it. So I said, call the realtor, put a sign in the yard. The house sold four days later. Um, and so, uh, this time last week, Harry, I didn't have a home. Uh, to go to. I think I do now. I'll talk to you about it. It's, it's one of Uncle Skeet's houses. Um, and um, so, well, but next week, the tr next Saturday, the truck pulls away and we will be, so when I'm here next week, no telling what I'll have on. Okay. I was going to say my hair will be all messed up, but you know better than that. Um, so, Abram is homeless, much more serious than what i got to deal with. i got somewhere that we're probably going. A couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago this weekend, um, in Rhonda's RV, okay, we loaded nine people. The entire Seton clan of, of my branch, okay, everybody. One vehicle, and went north about four hours from where we were. And we had just the greatest little time. Um, um, I didn't realize how bad of a driver I was <laughs> until the navigation system said, in 400 feet, do a slight right, stop, and let me out. Could GPS your navigation system ever say that to you? We found where we're going. What I want to say is that Abram is part of your story. We'll just briefly, I'll just do a little bit of a devotion next week. We're mainly going to have breakfast together. But read chapter 18 and chapter 21. Abram is part of your story. If he hadn't done what he did, then um, the rest of the Bible would not have been what it is. I will contend to you that from chapter 12 of the Bible all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, the rest of the story of the Bible is at least in part God's keeping his promise to Abraham. The cross is God keeping his promise to Abraham, at least in part. And therefore, it's part of my story. So, I left us a question. So, how do you and I leave a spiritual legacy? I tried to make some memories two weekends ago with a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old and a four-and-a-half-year-old and a almost two-year-old. That's a holy terror. And funny, he's hilarious. I tried to make some memories with them. When we stopped, we prayed. But my, my point is, you will leave a spiritual legacy. What will it be? 
What I'm going to ask you to do is to do what Abraham did. To make decisions based on faith. And then when you don't know where you're going, just put one foot in front of the other in faith. And trust him to lead you. Day by day by day by day. How do I leave a spiritual legacy? It's not by thinking 20 years from now. John, you and I spent Friday some time with a guy who, who's very concerned right now about his legacy. He's not going to be here very much longer than he knows it. But Brian can't leave a legacy built today. He had to start that years ago. You and I have got to start from wherever we are to put one faithful foot in front of the other. And as those that come after us begin to watch that day by day by day, we leave a faith legacy. What will yours be?